back to our story. My name is Matt Stone. I'm joined today by Dr. Phil Schrader and Reverend Kathy Brockman. Good to see you both. Good to see you. Good to be here. All right. Uh, as we uh, as we get ready for another episode, we've got a couple exciting things going on. Um, we're going to finish the Jonah mini-series this week, and so we're going to work through Jonah chapter 4. Hopefully you've had a chance to read through that. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we are moving quickly toward the season of Lent. And in next week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about what Lent is and where where this comes from and what it might mean for you and for your spiritual life this spring. But in preparation for Lent, uh, Kathy's been working on something that I think is really exciting. And uh, we want to give her a chance to share a little bit more about that because it's an opportunity that I think many of you will want to take advantage of. Kathy, tell us more about prayer triads. Happy to. So we are in the process of forming some small groups of church members or friends that you invite or suggest might want to join us. So it'll be three people who will meet once a week, either over the phone, through Zoom, socially distanced in person, however they want to work it out. It's going to be up to each little group to decide how they're going to meet. And our suggestion is they meet for an hour at the most, talk about the sermon from that week, and we will provide a few prompts if that's helpful for the group, if they'd like that, and then also to pray for each other and to talk about um, what needs they have, to pray for each other, and then winding up that time together each week with prayer together. So it's a great way to meet two other people, perhaps that you've never met, or to get to know people a little bit better that you haven't known in the past. So easy to sign up. You just um, There's a link to click on the website or on the Friday Focus that's coming out each Friday now, or by calling the church office. So any other questions that people have, they can contact me. I signed up already. I know you did. I've got you top of the list, Phil. First one. So, Kathy, I'm imagining that some of the folks listening, and just more generally at our church, some of, some of the folks might hear that invitation and think, gosh, I think that would be really beneficial. I could see some great value to that. But frankly, I'm a little bit scared of that kind of intimate conversation with folks that I don't know. Ooh. What would you say to them? Okay, that's a really great question. And so I would say that over the time that they will be together— that they're going to get to know each other much better, and that so in the beginning they don't share maybe as intimately as they will find themselves sharing at the end perhaps, and hopefully. That's that's the whole point of these is to, to get to know each other better and to be able to talk about things as you grow spiritually with each other and get to know each other better. Yeah, so there's a sense in which it's kind of self-guided, right? You go as oh, deep, absolutely. really, as you want to go. Um, but, and I think you'd probably agree with this, you know, I think there is um, a sense in which vulnerability begets vulnerability. And um, if we will have the courage to open up a little bit with each other, then I think the blessing of that will be will probably exceed your expectations. Absolutely. So, you absolutely. know, this is, a, this is an invitation that, uh, that really is requiring a little bit of courage uh, on your part. If you're one of those that thinks, gosh, that would be nice, but I just don't know if I can do it, then uh, we want to invite you 
to go one step beyond maybe right. what you think you could do right. uh, and but, just see what God might do through it. And it's a great Lenten discipline to maybe help get you started, help you to um, improve your prayer life. I think it's a great, even if you've never done anything like this, never prayed out loud before or in front of anybody else, this will be great. So I encourage anybody to, um, no matter what your comfort level is now, to give it a try. Um, it's well worth it. I, I did, I've done it in a previous church, and I am still friends with those two people that I was in a, in a triad with. So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity. And uh, like Kathy said, if you have any questions, reach out to her and uh, uh, or reach out to the church office. We'd be glad to share a little bit more about that with you all. And um, it's an opportunity that we think is well worth your time. So, uh, like we said, we're going to talk a little bit more about Lent. Kathy mentioned uh, a Lenten discipline. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. We're going to talk more about that next week. But uh, for this week, we are going to bring to a conclusion our mini-series around Jonah, exploring the book of Jonah. We're in the larger series called Breakthrough that's carried us through the the new year. Uh, But kind of embedded within that series, we've been working our way through the book of Jonah. And this week, we're going to explore chapter 4 in uh, in Jonah. So uh, this is a fascinating chapter. I, I think in a lot of ways... Uh, it uh, is an unexpected conclusion to Jonah's journey. And um, uh, so I'm excited to to explore it a little bit more with the three of you and with our church on Sunday. So Phil, tell us where we're headed. Well, this week is about breaking through anger. And that is how Jonah begins the whole chapter with being angry and displeased with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and if you read it, I, you know, the uh, the very first line of chapter 4, right? But this was very displeasing to Jonah because God, at the end of chapter 3, God sees how, they, how the Ninevites have turned away from their evil ways, and God changes his mind about the calamity that he was going to bring upon them. And the first line then of chapter 4 is, but this was displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. And I think one of the questions that really resonates for me is why? What, what really is it that Jonah is angry about, do you think? Well, there's a, a Hebrew word that in his proclamation, H-A-P-A-K is how we would look at it, hapak. And he, when he says that word, 40 days more and Nineveh will be hapak, it can mean destroyed, it can mean overthrown, or it can mean changed. And when he hears it, he means destroyed. Mm -hmm. When God hears it, God is open to the last definition, which is changed or transformed. So is he mad? But is he mad because he's told them and he in his mind, he thinks they're going to be destroyed. And now they're not. So he's so God's like not done what he said he was going to do. Right. So is he that that he's mad about? Or is it that God is changing his mind about these Gentiles, these Ninevites, and allowing them in. Hang hang on, hang on. I want to make sure that I heard you right there, Phil. So what you're suggesting is that God's plan was not to destroy Nineveh? I think that God holds out hope for all of us. And so I think that God uh, is, is willing to destroy Nineveh, but I don't think that's ever God's hope for us. Well, so... Certainly, we wouldn't say it's his hope, but the prophecy from Jonah was 40 days more and your city's going to be destroyed. But you're suggesting 
that that word destroyed really means changed. Could mean. So that, so that God's prophecy through Jonah is 40 days more and Nineveh is going to be changed? Possibly. That's one of the translations. Hmm. That's a tough one for me. I, I don't know. I like I gotta think I gotta let that sit a little bit more because then what really is the what really is happening? Right? If if what God is saying through Jonah is in forty days I'm gonna change you, then why would why would the Ninevites repent in this way, right? Like where's that like where's the the where's that thread running for us? Well, I, I think that um Jonah is coming to tell them there can be consequences to their actions. But it's such a simple phrase. Jonah doesn't say anything about God. Jonah says, 40 days more, Nineveh will be destroyed. And it's the next line that says the Hebrew people, I mean, the Ninevites believe God. Uh, they don't believe Jonah. They believe God. But the only, the only things he says, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, but the only thing he says is yet 40 days more, Nineveh will be Hapak. Interesting. Yeah, I got to sit with that a little bit more. I, it seems that the threat of destruction is what drives Nineveh to change, and that that's certainly hard, I think, for us to hear because this is not the these aren't the terms with which we're used to dealing with God, right? Uh, well, and I'm not saying that the Ninevites didn't hear it the same way Jonah did. Yeah. Okay. Jonah, he, yeah. Jonah says 30 days more, Nineveh is going to be overthrown, overturned. And the Ninevites hear it the same way. But uh, is that God's intent? That may be more of what I'm asking. Yeah. See, I, this gets back to the conversation that you talked about last week with the changing of God's mind. I think that is God's intent. I think God's intent is destruction. Now, whether that's his hope is a different conversation. Fair enough. And I, I don't think it's his hope because this is, this is never God's hope mm-hmm. that, uh, that, that people whom he holds dear would be destroyed, right? And this is at the heart of God. As, uh, he's a God who, who cares for his creation. Um, but I, I think that's what makes the changing both of Nineveh and of God's mind so powerful is I think the, is the full intent was for the destruction of Nineveh. And that then becomes an expectation for Jonah that drives the anger at the beginning of chapter four. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the, the text doesn't necessarily fully hold up that way. In, in, in the first chapter, it says, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, mm-hmm. for their wickedness has come up before me. But the content of what God wants him to say is never iterated. Uh, in chapter 3, it says, uh, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, Get up and go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim the message that I will tell you. And we never hear what that is. That's right. Yeah. Until it's out of his mouth. Well, and that's what I was saying last week was, gosh, I want to hear more because there had to have been more. Like there's no chance, no chance that Jonah walks through that city and says just 40 days more and then it will be overthrown. And that somehow produces mass transformation. That's unbelievable. There's no way that's the full content of what Jonah says. Well, and then there and there's that leap to him saying that and them believing in God. They believe God. That's the next line. So there, there seems like there should be more. So it does make you wonder if they've been told this before by someone else, another prophet maybe, someone's gone before. Yeah. Who knows? But it, it is a pretty rapid turnaround there. It's maddening. Yeah, it is it's maddening. maddening. We need more details. Exactly right. 
<laughs> as with so many stories in scripture, yeah. you just want more. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, I think this story begs for more detail on that front, but it, it, it certainly all still leaves me wondering what really is Jonah so mad about? Mm-hmm. Me too. Well, he's mad that he's in, had to walk 14 days to Nineveh. <laughs> you think that's it? That's How about one thing. And the three days in the whale? He's maybe? been three days in the whale. And, Spit uh, out. Yeah. The, and the, the, the other strange thing is that in his anger, he prays. In his anger, he prays, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in a, my I own country? I told you so. I told you so. This is why I fled to Tarshish. At the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishment. And now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. That's his prayer. Yeah, yeah. It's not really a, a request. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you've I mean, certainly, you've had prayers like that. Oh, sure. We all have. It's a complaint. It's, yeah. I'm like, how could you do this? How could you make me look like such an idiot? I still don't think it's terribly obvious why Jonah is mad. No, it's not. And I, it, maybe I'm just the only one that's hung up on this. But I, for me, I can't help but wonder if Jonah's mad because he knew God wasn't going to give them what they deserved. Is that the thing? Could be. I mean, that's what he's saying right there, isn't it? Jonah knows what they deserve. And for that matter, I mean, I know what people that I don't like deserve, too. Yeah, yeah. I know what <laughs> you deserve, but I also yeah. know God is merciful and gracious, and He's not, and God's not going to do that to them. Yeah, I mean, I That's think Jonah's angry, kind of, anger kind of confronts me in a way that I don't particularly enjoy. Because I think Jonah knows what they deserve and thinks he knows better than God what they deserve. And I, too, know what people I don't like deserve— and I'm pretty sure I know better than God what they deserve. Sure. And when they don't get it, it just makes me mad. Yeah. When they don't get it and maybe you do or something happens to you that... Yeah, see, that was the yeah. other thing that I was kind of wondering about yeah. is maybe Jonah looks at this as a zero-sum game. Right? Jonah, Jonah looks and says, um, if, they don't, if, if they're getting some gift from God, then I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. Or, or if I get some gift from God, then they don't get it. So if they're getting mercy, then, then there's not going to be enough for me. Or that means that I'm not going to get it. Even though he's just received that gift in the belly of the whale. Such a human story. Mm-hmm. We have an awfully short memory. Yeah, we do. And we don't always see it as that, as mercy. And not only are you asking the question, but then God asks the same question. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? No. Yeah. Well, and Jonah's, it's not just that he's angry, too, right? There's despair there. Yeah. I mean, he I don't think he's pouts. being facetious about take my life. No, no, I think he meant and, it. I mean, I, it feels like an authentic statement. Um, there's no sign that, that this is some, you know, verbal trick. Uh, I mean, I think there's there's anger mixed with despair. And he says it a second time. It's not. It's not the the last time he's going to say it's better for me to die than to live. Mm-hmm. Really, it's the second out of three times. Right. I mean, this is what he says on the boat too. Yes. Yeah. There's so many parallels in how this story is told. And then there's that bush. Let's talk about the bush. 
Yeah, so remind us of the story, Kathy. Well, so he goes out and makes a booth for himself right outside the city. And then it's my interpretation says God appointed a bush. Just like he appointed a fish. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Same, and a, same and word. And now points a worm. Yeah, yes. God is God is into appointing animals yes. to do God's bidding. Yes, God's creation. So the bush grows up over Jonah and gives him some shade one day. And then that night, this worm that's been appointed attacks the bush. So the bush is gone, right? So... And and then and then God sends a sultry east wind and the sun to beat down on top of him until he was asking again to to die. It's better for me to die than to live because it's so hot and the wind is so strong. I don't know. Jonah's kind of a weenie if you ask me. <laughs> uh yeah, I, you know, Phil, I I think there's some there's some big questions in here. Um you know that um, that I think the text is really confronting us with. God asked Jonah again, "Is it right that you're angry about the bush?" The first question is, "It right that you're angry about the Ninevites?" The second question is, "It right that you're angry about the bush?" And this bush was a gift right. to Jonah. Right? He's removed himself from the city and uh, builds a booth or a tent or some kind of structure. Lean to uh, a lean to. Uh, and this bush was an act of mercy mm-hmm. that came up out of nowhere, um, that wasn't asked for. It was an act of mercy given to him and then removed. And Jonah's still mad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's a great object lesson. Uh, but, Phil, where, where do you think God is headed with Jonah? What do you think God wants Jonah to see? Um, Jonah wants to see that he loves the Ninevites down to the animals and the children those who don't even know their right hand from their left. You think that's what God wants Jonah to see? Yeah, that, that, that God's love uh, for all of humanity is bigger than uh, than Jonah's love for humanity. I think that's one thing he wants him to see. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I wonder if part of it is that... Um, I wonder if God wants Jonah to see, you don't know what you think you know. Hmm. Um, and, you know, part of his response to Jonah is, you didn't work for this bush. Um, he says, you didn't labor for it and you didn't grow it. Um, it came into being in the night and it perished in the night. Uh, so what right have you over these people? I, I mean, I think to some degree, God wants Jonah to see, you don't know what you think you know uh, about me or about the world. And Jonah doesn't know who has been laboring. Okay, if Jonah wasn't the one laboring for Nineveh, uh, who has been laboring for Nineveh? Um, and to your point earlier, Kathy, I, I wonder, you know, who else has been proclaiming this message before Jonah, but he just has no idea. Right. And I wonder if God's not trying to also show Jonah that he's not, you've heard of God of second chances, right? He's not just the God of second chances. He's the God of third and fourth and on and on and on. So not only does he give Jonah more than one or two or three chances, he gives the Ninevites that as well. God does. Um, So I wonder if that's part of it as well, what he's trying to teach him. 
Phil, as we kind of step out of just chapter four then and look at Jonah as a whole, uh, what are you walking away from the book with? I think for for all of us, we, we've encountered the book of Jonah before, but each time you encounter it, it's a little bit different. I'm kind of wondering if there's something um, that has stood out to you in this particular journey through Jonah that uh, that you're walking away with. I think the thing that changed for me, at least as I walked through the first chapter especially, was I've always kind of thought of this from Jonah's perspective. And this time through, I really uh, was drawn uh, to the sailor's perspective. I was drawn not to the whale's perspective necessarily, mm-hmm. but to the sailor's perspective. And then uh, to the people of Ninevites' perspective mm-hmm. uh, as they come in and have this thing that happens to them. And then they have a king who tries to legislate that for all of them to live out that uh, and then uh, the last one is from God's perspective. So it's really trying to take a different look at it, not from trying to understand that um, not that I'm Jonah uh, and that I relate to Jonah in the in the story, uh, but and I do at times certainly. But I just kind of got more into what was going on with the other people in the story. I hope you don't relate too closely to Jonah right now, because I I think that would make us Nineveh, oh. and I don't I don't think we want to be Nineveh. I don't, think I don't so. want to be Nineveh. No. So don't don't relate too closely to Jonah. And Nineveh, interestingly enough, um, is a symbol that is like a circle with a fish in the middle in cuneiform, and so Nineveh literally might mean house of fish or place of fish. That was a new revelation for me. Hmm. Well, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) Just store it away for a trivia game one day. But I just think it's funny that the great (laughs) fish sends him to the great fish city. Ah, okay. And he's supposed to fish for people and doesn't want to. There you go. That's what we did with that. Fair enough. There you go. That's what you do with it. Yep. So, Phil, as we get ready for Sunday, you know, part of our hope with the podcast is that this will help our community to prepare ourselves and to be more available to the work and word of God uh, in worship. So as we as we do that, how should we get ready for Sunday? Let's remember that this is Super Bowl Sunday and I'm angry that the Steelers are not in the Super Bowl this year. But that's not really righteous anger. That's not anger that's based in any sort of reality. That's just my own personal issue. And as you prepare for this Sunday, where sometimes people let their anger get the best of them, uh, even though this is only a game. I I invite you to make a list of things that um, bring anger in your life and uh, just put a line down the middle of a page and start listing some things and list some things on the left that uh, are righteous anger, things that uh, you need to be angry about in this world that are a struggle, and then maybe uh, take stock of some of those things that might uh, make you angry or distracted that really are not worth your anger, and ask yourself, is it right for me to be angry about this, and how might I process through that? Yeah, I I think that's a a really great practice, and I think uh, just uh, adding on top of that, one of the ways to discern, because sometimes it's not so clear, is this my anger or is this a righteous anger? 
One of the ways that I think we can do some of that discernment work is to ask alongside it, would God be angry at this? As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Is this something yeah. that, um, uh, that would, that would um, make God angry? And, um, you know, I know we don't like thinking about God as angry. However, in the face of sin, in the face of woundedness, in the face of suffering, I think absolutely God is angry. And so that can be a helpful lens to kind of discern our own, our own anger uh, as we get ready for Sunday. So, Phil, thanks for this. Kathy, thanks for being Thank here. And uh, we're looking forward to next week as we bring breakthrough to a conclusion and start to turn our uh, hearts and minds toward the season of Lent. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody UMC. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org and join us for online worship every Sunday. This Sunday, February 7th, join us outside for worship in the parking lot at 1122 a.m. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours.